Welcome to Sometime Between Dusk and Dawn, Ghost Stories. This episode is written and produced by me, Jeanette Quackenbush, with folklore pulled from many resources, including Jim, the Ghost of Stretcher's Neck, in Fetter's Southern Magazine in 1892. There is more than just this podcast. You can buy my book series on Amazon and find them in other bookstores, including my second book on West Virginia ghost stories, where this one is recounted. Today's story is Ghost of Stretcher's Neck, a folktale passed down by families living along the New River in Fayette County, West Virginia. During the 1800s and 1900s, in remote areas, more than 50 rail and mining towns like Kaymore, Nettleburg, Terry, and Prince popped up in the wilderness around the twisty New River that eventually joins with the Gully River. Along its more southern path, Man Mountain slims down to a thin point, and the New River makes a sweeping bend around it. This particular shoot of land at the thinning point is called a neck. When greatly exaggerated, these shafts of the earth are called stretcher's necks. For well over a hundred years, this particular spur has been called stretcher's neck, or just the neck for short. Sometime before 1873, Engineer James Points Nelson was among a surveying crew trailblazing through the wilderness around New River, mapping a train route for the Chesapeake and Ohio Railway. At the time, Nelson described the wilderness surrounding them as nearly impassable. He wrote that his crew could barely cut through the dense underbrush and huge trees while they dragged equipment with them. There were no roads and no houses and no people, he said, except here and there a hunter in his hut. Nothing but a wilderness of rocks, trees, undergrowth, and the river, which because of its rapids, falls, and dangerous currents, offered no facilities for communication. Supplies were brought to the tops of the cliff and let down with much trouble. So it is no wonder the men of the surveying crew enjoyed a few moments of relaxation at the end of the day to spook each other at the campfire before going to bed. One night, the men had gathered around a blazing fire at a beach along Stretcher's Neck while the water banged and bounced through the rocks and cliff walls, making the eerie cry much like lost souls and ghosts and other terrifying creatures of the night. They were tossing ghost stories back and forth, competing for the scariest, when an axeman spoke up and said he was from the parts of the same area where they were camping, and he had a ghostly tale to tell. It went like this. It was on this very spur where Elvira Sanner lived. It was long before the railway built the track and long before they dug a tunnel through the neck. There was just one road in and one road out. Or there was the river to ride by boat to get to towns. By far, Elvira was the prettiest girl on the neck at the time and lived alone with her father in a modest house on a meager farm. At all the meetings, the young men looked at her. Her beauty was so great that the dogwood blossoms she wore as a necklace at her throat were not so white as the skin it lay upon, and her hair was dark as coal. The ripened dogwood berries, when they touched her cheek, were hardly as red as her pouting lips. Her eyes were as blue and gentle and deep as a quarry, where you can look and see a sleepy fish a mile beneath the surface. When she spoke or sang, all those around her stopped talking or singing to hear her voice. Well, that is, except the old braggart Hiram Bogus, who was the richest man and the loudest singer and the longest prayer at every church meeting. All the men loved her and dreamed of marrying the beautiful girl. But no one wanted to have her all to himself, more than Hiram Bogus. And then there was Jim Thurmond, who everyone fondly called Chief, 
Every town had its best fellow, the one who was the best hunter and the best wrestler and the best fighter when fighting needed to be done. That was Jim Thurmond. He was a kind and good friend to all. He did fight one of his buddies once and knocked him out. When the poor soul woke up, Jim Thurmond was crying. Jim started courting Elvira. Nobody thought it strange at all when they saw them coming together to the church meetings. Jim would gently settle Elvira into the women's side of the church pews before he went to sit with the men. Everyone was happy for the two, even the men who loved her from afar. That is, save Hiram Bogget. His jealous eyes glared hotly at them. Hiram and his sister, Malviny Metters, had lots of land. While he was a braggart, she was a widow and a gossip with a house full of bratty children. She hated Elvira for being pretty. Elvira's father had just enough to make a garden to feed himself and his daughter. Then one day, when Elvira's father needed money, he borrowed some from Hiram. Times were rough. He had to borrow money again and again until Hiram Boggs owned the Sander home, and in some ways, he owned Elvira's father. Now Jim Thurman made apple brandy, even though he was not supposed to by laws far outside the woods he lived in at the time. He had a good apple brandy still above where the tunnel is now, and transported the brandy by boat down New River, selling it at Kanawha Falls. When autumn rolled around, Jim had built a cabin, and everyone knew that the good man was getting ready to ask for pretty little Elvira's hand. Jim left one evening to sell some brandy so he could fix the cabin up for her. Hiram left too, but no one knew where he went. When Jim returned, he brought a beautifully carved bed, chairs, rugs, and real linens not seen before in Stretcher's neck. That night, he went out to his brandy still house to work. That was when the officers came. They tore up his still house and beat up on Jim. There must have been a great fight because Jim killed the captain in charge of the men, but Jim got away. When the rest of the officers carried the dead man and a couple wounded to Hiram's house, everyone knew where he had disappeared. And it was he who had ratted out and turned in Jim because Hiram ran out and asked if they had gotten him. For days, the community searched for Jim, praying he was not hurt, but they could not find him. They heard a rumor that a man was walking the tracks way up the river in a remote town he had a gunshot wound to his arm, and he was looking for a new place to live. He said he had done it himself, but some thought, well, that might be Jim. It left Elvira crying and bitter for the man she loved was gone. As the days passed, she grew paler and paler. The dogwood blossoms she wore around her neck seemed dark against her skin. Her lips were white, and her eyes not so blue anymore, and her expression was troubled and sad. Perhaps it was surprising when the very man who had run Jim out started keeping company with Elvira. Whether Jim had killed a man or not, it was self-defense, and nobody could think of her as anything but Jim's promised wife. Then one spring, Elvira's father grew sick, and before long, Elvira was to marry Hiram. On the night of the wedding, the young men were making merry outside the newlyweds' cabin, as they did back in the olden days tossing rocks at the windows and making it hard for the couple to get to know each other. That is when the young men saw a shadow by the window of the cabin. Most believed, as they stared aghast at the figure that night, it was the ghost of Jim. But it faded so fast that some were not so sure. 
It was not until that shadow seemed to turn up every time Hiram Bogus was around. They knew Jim was haunting Elvira's underhanded, boasting husband. It was not long before the rumor started. It was not just that the ghost of Jim was haunting Hiram. Elvira was dying a little bit every day, too. Her father died, and she had no one except Hiram and his cruel sister, who was fearing that she would lose all her brother's land to Elvira if something happened to him. Malviney Metters was always telling Hiram that Elvira still pined for Jim, which only made Hiram mad at Elvira. She would tell Elvira that Hiram thought she was a lazy wife. Then the baby came. It was sickly, but Elvira loved it. One night, it was so sick, she begged Hiram to seek out the doctor 15 miles away. He refused, telling her the baby's welfare should be left to Providence. Hiram went to bed, but Elvira soothed the baby by the fire, softly weeping because she knew it was going to die. Sometime during the darkest part of the night, Elvira saw a shadowy figure hovering above her like in a dream. She started to cry out, and the form pushed a finger on her lips. Shush, he said softly. It was Jim's voice. I will bring a good doctor by tomorrow. He kissed her forehead then, but she blinked and looked up and thought perhaps she had just been dreaming. No one was there, but the doctor did come the next day, just as the figure in her dream had told her. The baby got better, but then got sick again. This time Hiram went to get the doctor, and Melviney stayed with Elvira. But as the night went on, the child died before Hiram returned. Melviney, worried for her brother's sake, left the house. As she started down the path, she saw a man coming toward her. Sure enough, it was the ghost of Jim Thurmond. Melviney pushed her hand on her chest and fell to the ground, and her heart stopped beating the moment she saw him. But he passed her by and went into the home of Elvira and Hiram. Elvira looked up from her chair by the fire, where she was still rocking the dead baby. Jim, is that you, she asked, and the man nodded. Yes, Hiram will not be coming back, and I have come to take you and the baby home. He had pushed his arms around his sweetheart and held her and the baby. Elvira's arms wrapped around him, and then, not long after, a smile flit upon her lips before her hand fell lifeless by his side. Most people at Stretcher's Neck would swear they saw the ghost of Jim Thurman at Elvira's funeral. Hiram Bogus had vanished, and most believed he drowned in New River after mysteriously falling from a cliff. Years would pass, and the railway carved a path along the New River, and they dug a tunnel through the neck at the same place where Elvira and Jim would meet halfway between their homes. People living in the area used the rails and tunnel often to walk from the houses on Stretcher's Neck to the towns of Prince, the location of the closest store, and Quinamont. McKendry Road was the only way in and out. It was a raggedy road and twisted and turned. It was much easier for pedestrians to take the shortcut through the tunnel. Teachers from these towns would walk the tunnel to get to the estuary school downriver. In 1919, one of the Gwyn boys, 23-year-old Russell, who lived near Stretcher's Neck, was a clerk for the CNO Railroad in Quinamont. He would take a three-wheeled handcar with a lantern through the Stretcher's Neck tunnel to get to work. One night, while he was rushing to work, he passed a woman in a brown hat, white dress, and dark black hair, just standing within the tunnel. He brought the car to a halt and called back politely to her, asking if she would like to have his lantern to light the way. When she did not answer, a certain chill ran over him, 
and he made a hasty retreat through the other side. He asked the watchman at the far end if he had seen anyone come or go that evening. The watchman had just completed his rounds through the tunnel and had not seen anyone at all. Over the years, others had strained things happen to them. One of two young people walking through the tunnel had a consistent tapping on her neck when no one else was around. Some believe the ghosts of Jim Thurman and Elvira San Arbogas meet there. The ghostly couple is seen in the shadows of the walls, now happy together for eternity. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sometime Between Dusk and Dawn Ghost Stories. If you like it, please pass it along. And most of all, I hoped I help you find your scary place sometime between dusk and dawn. <laughs>